Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference, or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me as always is Matthew, who is a little under the weather right now. A little bit, and hello. <laughs> but you can't really tell hearing him so you you'll never even notice hopefully well today uh we're gonna finish up our series on uh, the secular creed i think it's been five six episodes i can't remember how many but we wanted to spend some time wrap uh, wrapping up we wanted to re-emphasize something that we've tried to emphasize throughout the whole series and add a little bit to the discussion in general that didn't necessarily fit in any one topic. So, just as a reminder, this is being based off of a sign. It it looks like a campaign sign, right? Right. That some put up in their yards that say something to the effect of, in this house we believe that black lives matter, matter, love is love, women's rights are human rights, we are all immigrants, diversity makes us stronger. We also, there's there's more than one iteration of this sign, and another iteration that we saw also included, um, <laughs> which ones did it, I know science is real, and we're all immigrants. We're all immigrants, yes, yes, yes. Anyway, so we've been discussing each of these statements. Most of them, there was some agreement and some disagreement with the statement. Um, the ones, of course, about sexuality, we really didn't have anything to say in agreement with them. Those were the, you know, those are the ones that there's no way we could put this sign in our yard. The other ones we could with some some qualification. So you'd have to, like, put an asterisk and have some notes down at the bottom that people passing by couldn't see anyway, so why do it? But anyway, so we've been discussing this. Rebecca McLaughlin wrote a book called Signs Like This, The Secular Creed. Um, We're going to talk about the significance in a little bit of calling it a a creed. But one of the things that she emphasized in the book, and and really we wanted to highlight again and again, was this idea about human rights and where human rights come from. She especially uh, mentioned Tom Holland's book, Dominion, again and again, Um, Because Tom Holland's thesis in that book is that essentially in the West, we live in a Christian world. So that even if you're not a Christian, you probably have a Christian sense of morality. And so the argument from this book was even though some of these things that were, some of these things on the sign are distorted and we would need to redefine. The basic essence, the idea that people have human rights, is something that Tom Holland, Rebecca McLaughlin, and we too are arguing um, didn't come from the Greco-Roman world. In fact, it's contrary to the Greco-Roman world, but it came from the world of the Bible. It came from the the wisdom of Scripture um, hashed out through time uh, in the West, and that so that's something that we we have tried to emphasize throughout 
Let me share with you, I might have shared these before in uh, the appropriate places, but it's good to review and remind ourselves. Here's a quote. um, I think here she's quoting from Tom Holland's book directly, where it says that every human being possessed an equal dignity was not remotely a self-evident truth. A Roman would have laughed to campaign against laughed at it, to campaign against discrimination on the grounds of gender or sexuality, however, was to depend on large numbers of people sharing in common assumption that everyone possessed an inherent worth. The origins of this principle lay not in the French Revolution, nor in the Declaration of Independence, nor in the Enlightenment, but in the Bible. And, and we've tried to show that from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, that God created human beings in his own image. And therefore, every human being, no matter their ethnicity, their gender, their sexual preferences, are created in the image of God. And they have dignity and worth. And because of that, they have inherent rights that cannot be violated by anyone, including the government. And to violate them is immoral. So, um... We're arguing that this secular creed <laughs> isn't so secular. Uh, and if it is secular, it's because it's, it's been taken from Christianity, stripped of any relationship to the Bible, and uh, refabricated to fit uh, secular ideas. She also notes, um, because many, sec- many secular people see evolution as an origin story that replaces the Genesis account where Christians derive this idea of human rights. But, she says, if evolution is our only origin story, then Yuval Noah Harari's earlier observation is right. We humans have no natural rights. Um... That, that really is a profound uh, insight uh, that about evolution that she's talking about there. Um, because if we evolved from other animals, we are, we are just highly evolved animals. And, and then in what sense can we say that we have rights? Where did then rights just become conventions? or an idea that one society came up with that was beneficial or useful for them. You can't say that these rights are universal in any sense, um, because other societies may have come up with other things that they thought were beneficial. And, and the reality is, because evolution is accepted as the origin story um, now we have a problem differentiating between humans and animals, hence animal rights campaigns that want to give animals the same rights as humanity. And we're not advocating mistreatment and, of animals by any stretch of the imagination. We're not advocating that. The Bible actually speaks against that. But it, it, the way the secular animal rights crusade, that there is no differentiation between human beings. Because dolphins are 
really intelligent animals. Uh, they are seen as by animal rights activists as deserving the same rights as human beings, and and sometimes more rights if that human being is an infant in its mother's womb or an infant born shortly or an infant shortly after birth is not as advanced consciously and in other ways as as an as a dolphin would. So then in some cases dolphins are then have more rights than an infant human being or an adult dementia or Alzheimer's patient then it's not in their right minds anymore. The Bible helps us to show the difference between human beings and animals and show that we were created with a dignity and worth that is above and beyond the rest of creation. And we, unlike, although animals ought to be treated well and not abused and tortured and things like that, um, animals ought to be treated well because they're God's creation. They don't, they don't, they're not in the same rank as human beings and aren't, don't have the same rights as a human being would. So this is where some of the confusion comes in, right? When we look at, when we go away from the Bible and we try to derive human rights from something other than uh, the image of God in all of people. So I've prattled on long enough. <laughs> Matthew, you need to interject something. Well, just, I think that's a very valid consideration in that when you make the assumption that animals and humans are the same thing, then you eliminate the necessity for human rights. But no one wants to follow that logic trail to that inevitable conclusion. And so we create this hybrid thing that somehow it that we're the same, but yet we're different. But that's what happens when you hold on to evolutionary thought. And so it's why it's vitally important to understand that while we respect all of God's creation, we understand that fundamentally that the thing that separates us from the animals is that we were made in God's image. And therefore that that image is what gives us in value and worth above the rest of his creation. It also gives us a responsibility. Right. Uh, because we're to take dominion. Correct. But that dominion is a stewardship of God's creation, not a not a a, a right to destroy everything, <laughs> yeah. including animals. There are uses for animals. Um, eating animals is not beyond what the Bible tells us to do. But even in that, uh, there are ways of caring for animals uh, that are anyway. Let you got everybody gets the point. So let's right. let's move yeah. on. So. So, again, what we're trying to emphasize in this whole thing, it's the Bible that teaches that people are created in the image of God and therefore have inherent dignity and worth so that every human being from the moment of conception until natural birth is is to be treated with dignity and respect. Uh, they have inherent rights, and those rights are not to be trampled on by anyone, no matter... Um, what hat they wear, and and we and so we believe, we believe that based on the Bible, 
and we also believe that's why we when we talked about black lives matters that's why we said that statement in and of itself divorced from the group is a statement that every christian should be able to affirm um and while we differ with uh the lgbt community we still seek to treat them with dignity and respect because they're people created in the image of God. This is why women are uh, have equal and dignity worth, equal dignity and worth uh, with uh, with men. They they're equal in that dignity and worth, and they have rights as well that are not to be trampled upon. Uh, this is why we argue that immigrants also have universal rights. Right, right. Uh, because not because they're Americans, or not because they're Mexicans or Asians, or they have they have rights because they're human beings who were created in the image of God and have dignity and worth and ought to be treated as such, and especially by people who are Christians who claim to love God and are called to love our neighbor. So this is why we're addressing this. We we think there's a better way of dealing with it than through secularism. We believe the the Bible is actually who came up with this idea, and Christians ought to be the forefront of defending human rights and standing up for for the dignity and worth of human beings. And you know we did, we we didn't spend any time talking about children in their mother's womb elderly people who some want to uh, encourage euthanasia to kill. Uh, these, of course, violate human rights and dignity. Uh, we haven't spent time talking about handicapped people, people with mental illness, um, who also deserve, deserve uh, this kind of treatment that we've been describing. It, it really is an application of Christian love to our neighbors as Christ commands us to. So we hope we hope that this series has helped you think through some of those things and ultimately see, ultimately see the human rights, human dignity are grounded in the fact that we're created by God and His image. This didn't come from secularism. It came from Christianity. It came from the Bible. It's, it's a legacy uh, that we have as believers in Christ, and we ought to uphold it. All right. Thank you for that amen. <laughs> so let's talk now a little bit about the reason why we we and Rebecca McLaughlin would call this a, a creed. A creed is a statement of belief, but generally speaking, uh, creeds have to do with religious beliefs, right? Right. It, it's not that no one else would would say this is a political creed or something like that, but it's unusual. Normally it has to do with religion. And, you know, the the irony is uh, this is called the secular creed, right? Secular means secular really doesn't necessarily preclude religion, but it usually does. Um, Because secular means the here and the now. We're not thinking about the supernatural. We're not thinking about life after death. We're thinking about the world as it is right now and not looking at anything above or beyond that. So, in effect, they're excluding God. They're excluding the supernatural. They're excluding eternal life. They're not saying 
necessarily that those things don't exist, but uh, the suggestion is that life ought to operate as if they don't exist, uh, because not everybody believes in the same God at the same religion, and so with because of competing religious com- um, claims, we everything needs to be secular so that we are able to get along. The problem, of course, is is this though secularism isn't a religion per se, they are making a they are making a religious claim. And the religious claim that they're making is that re- religions essentially don't belong in the public square because all they'll do is cause arguments. But this is a religious claim. Uh, Christians can't affirm this claim because we believe that indeed our our faith must <laughs> be involved in the in the public marketplace of ideas. So we can't affirm secularism because it's it's against our faith. Uh, Muslims can't affirm secularism either, a full orbed secularism, let's put it that way. And there are other there are likely other faiths that cannot affirm a a full orb secularism um, because it is against their faith. So the irony of this is that the secular creed is a new modern religion, a religion not not based on an ancient book like what we have, but a religion based on the wisdom of philosophers, the wisdom of science, the wis- the wisdom of man, right? Right. But it nonetheless is a religion. Uh, I mean, try violating one of these items in the creed, and you will quickly find that you are a heretic and worthy, maybe not of, maybe not yet of, of being burned at the stake. But you shall will be figuratively burned at the stake if you disagree with any of these statements on social media. <laughs> So Matthew's going to try that today as an experiment to see if he's if he's literally crucified or just figuratively crucified. And uh, he'll get back with us next week and let us know how that goes. So which one are you going to disagree with publicly, Matthew, to, I don't to know. get crucified? We'll have to think about it. You, you might get some praise, but, you know, yeah, you say the wrong thing to the wrong people and uh, you might be... You might get banned, even from Twitter with Elon Musk in charge. This is true. So there is socially now, this this secular creed, you find it in your workplace. If you work for an entity that is not religious, in June, you're probably going to be encouraged to affirm this creed, that love is love and trans women are women. Um, And to publicly stand against that, could cost you. Um, maybe not much now, but the way things seem to be going is it's going to get costlier and costlier as as time goes on. So we have a creed, and if you disagree with that creed, you will be figuratively or literally uh, burned at the stake. Probably figuratively for now, at least. So these people are very zealous about this creed. Uh, they they are very devoted to this cause, as you can see 
in, in different demonstrations and things like that. The worst thing about this religion is uh, the lack of forgiveness, the lack of atonement. If you transgress one of these, one of these creedal statements that are on there, if you transgress one of them, there is no forgiveness for you. There is no atonement. Now, if you're a progressive who made some mistakes in the past and are ready to get on the right side of history, (laughs) there might be some forgiveness for you. But if you're one of those backwards religious people that want to hold on to your ancient book and your ancient tradition and your ancient creeds, well, there is no forgiveness for you. And Matthew and I have tried in our presentation to be positive, not critical. We've tried to avoid the statement political, so we can't avoid any political, but we've tried to avoid policy ideas or policy suggestions. We haven't argued about gay marriage or things like that. That we Our agenda was something else. No matter how winsome we may have been, <laughs> what we said what we said especially in the discussions about love is love and trans rights are trans women are uh women what we said there uh is heretical according to the secular creed and would get us in trouble even though we were tried to be gracious and polite through the whole thing i'm not saying you shouldn't try to be winsome uh but at the end of the day um if you're not fully on board, no matter how winsome you may be, uh, you will be, at least figuratively, burned at the stake. Now, uh, does it have an eschatology? Does it have an end times view? I think it does. <laughs> I think they believe that history is progressing, history is on their side, and that at some time, the heretics will either be converted or Maybe they have more sinister plans. (laughs) Not that they have plans. I don't want to sound conspiratorial, but they'll be proven right at the end of history. History is their judge, even though history seems to move on forever. Of course, until the environmental cataclysm that we've been promised. Um, You know, Al Gore said like 20 years ago, we have 12 years before the earth goes up as a firebomb. So, you know, we're... We're still waiting for that, but history is the judge. History, even the the end is, of course, the ecological collapse that will destroy all of humanity. But until then, history is progressing in the direction of the secular creed and the adherence to that. And everybody who's right-minded better hop on board, or else. <laughs> so I I really think. Even though it's secular and it doesn't involve a devotion to a deity, there's certainly a religious zealotry here. And not everybody. Some people, you know, there's always a degree of how uh, tightly someone holds to something, but there's enough of the zealot adherence to this uh, that I don't remember my point, so let's just move on. But anyway... There's some zealotry. So I, I I think this seems to be a religion more than just a philosophy because of the devotion and the level of devotion to it. So, any 
concluding thoughts? I know I rambled on Matthew <laughs> 6, so he doesn't want to talk today. But <laughs> I mean, I think, one, on that point about it having an eschatological conclusion, I think one of the things to understand is that ultimately, while they see history as progressive, they don't have an end because ultimately all they're seeking to do is progress, which means that there is no termination point. There is no place in which they arrive at their desired end. So that ultimately, if in their framework, this ecological disaster never occurs and climate change doesn't destroy the world, all those statements that they make will then be considered bigoted statements eventually because they will have progressed. They'll progress past them and they'll look back on them as just, you know, backward statements. Right. I, I think you're right because if, if you would look back at the activists for these causes in the 80s, e- even some of the words they used to describe the groups would be seen as bigoted and terrible now. Right. I mean, try saying sexual preference <laughs> when, when in the 90s that was okay to say, but now that term has been deemed in violation of the creed. Uh, we don't talk that way anymore. So <laughs> yeah, This is true. So I think they'll, they'll, yes, they'll even look back at their own uh-huh. movement and, and see some bigotry that they had to overcome. So... And the, one other thing, just quickly, I think for us to think through, is that ultimately, one of the other tenets of the religion is that it's still seeking to answer the fundamental question, which is the identity question. And so, rather than saying their identity and how we started today, that their identity is that they are, there is inherent value and worth because they're made in the image of God, they define their identity by that creed. And each one of those statements, and that's how they determine their identity, and that's why they are so forcefully protective of it, because it's ultimately, that's who they see themselves as. And so that's just one other little piece that one of these days, maybe we'll have a, we'll do a whole episode on identity, because I really think that what Almolo says is true, is that that identity is the defining issue in the next 15 years us yeah. understanding identity and ultimately from a theological standpoint the doctrine of man anthropology all of that but i think that piece plays into it is why they're so protective of it because it's who they are it's what they think makes them them and so i think we have to understand that right. and that's why they grab hold of it and protect it so much and see any challenge to it as something worthy of burning someone at the stake well, right, because the, what what you hear when you disagree with the creed is that you don't you don't want me to exist. Right. It's not that we <laughs> it's not that we disagree with choices or the way you're living your life or or however you want to however you want to put it. It's not just a disagreement. It's that we're hate filled bigots that want you not to exist. Right. I mean, you don't get that from anything that we've ever said in any of this that we've talked about. Correct. But still, that would be the res- that would be the response that, that you be. just don't want me to exist because 
their whole identity is wrapped up into it. It's not just a thing that I'm involved in. It's who I am. And for you to attack that is to attack is attack and want me to cease to exist. Yeah. So these are just a few big thoughts as we come to the conclusion of the secular creed. But ultimately, what the thought we want to leave you with is that each person has been made in the image of God and that we have a responsibility then to live out that calling that God has placed upon our lives, starting with redemption and being redeemed and then ultimately progressing through sanctification until we arrive at glorification. We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to questions, comments, and even dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But for now, we want to thank you once again for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where we're striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.